1: Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton.
2: So Jesus is holy, and the verse says Jesus is true. He who is true, in verse 7. Again, later on in Revelation, Revelation chapter 15, Revelation chapter 19, we're going to see that Jesus is worshipped in heaven, it says, because His ways are true. And then in 19, He's worshipped in heaven because His judgments are are true. Jesus is true. When
1: Jesus came to preach, he made a point of noting that what he was teaching was true. People are constantly searching for truth. Some believe that it is subjective, personal, or even absolute. One thing is clear when we read the Bible, and that is that everything Jesus taught and did was true. In today's message, Pastor Dan will be walking us through the things that Jesus taught and how it relates to this chapter in the book of Revelation. We know that absolute truth can be found in Jesus Christ. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Revelation chapter 3 for today's edition of Ring of Truth.
2: Let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 3 this morning. We uh, left off in verse 7, where it says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere. I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We are looking at the letters that Jesus wrote to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. We've studied through five of the letters today. We we look at his letter to the church in Philadelphia. You know, if we could travel back in time uh, and visit these churches that are in the Book of Revelation, I would want to attend the church in Philadelphia. It's by far the, the best church out of the seven. Jesus has so many wonderful things to say uh, to this church in Philadelphia more than any of the other churches. So this this is the church I would want to, to visit if we could go back in time. Plus, you know, they've got wonderful cheesesteaks in Philadelphia, the hoagies, the soft pretzels. It is the church in Philly, after all. Um, the church in Philadelphia is one of only two churches in the book of Revelation that Jesus had only good things to say to. Smyrna's the other church. He had only good things to say to Philadelphia and to Smyrna. There's, there's two churches in the seven that Jesus had only good things to say to. And there's two churches that Jesus had no good things to say to. And we've looked at one. We'll look at the second one uh, next week. Just again to give you some background on the city of Philadelphia, just to give you some context here, the city of Philadelphia, there in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, uh, it was originally founded as a Greek city, and it it was founded for the deliberate intention of spreading the Greek way of life. And the Greek culture and the Greek language to that region of Asia Minor. It was a colony city that was established for that purpose, to to Hellenize that region of Asia Minor. And so the city of Philadelphia was given an open door, if you will, to spread Greek culture. And the church in Philadelphia is given an open door to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to that city and beyond. Um, The city, uh, the name Philadelphia, of course, it means brotherly love. Philadelphia in Pennsylvania is known as the city of brotherly love. The word Philadelphia, it's used seven times in the New Testament. Here, it's used as a proper name for the city. Elsewhere, it's used to instruct believers on how we should love each other. We should love each other with, with brotherly love. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Let brotherly love continue. That's that word Philadelphia. Uh, We should have brotherly love in the body of Christ. Philadelphia love. Philadelphia was a typical Roman city, just like the other cities we've looked at. It had many pagan temples. There was a lot of idolatry there and all of the things that went along with idolatry. In the area around Philadelphia, uh, they had a lot of vineyards. Uh, so their main God that they worshipped in this city was Dionysus, who was the God of wine. And you worship Dionysus by getting drunk on wine. Uh, so there was a lot of drunkenness in this city. Very immoral city. And again, what we see is God has plants his church in major cities, important cities in the ancient world. Uh, and so that's a little bit of background. If you look at verse 7, again, Jesus speaking... And he says, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? And as we've said with the other letters, that word angel, it means messenger. It's probably referring to the pastor of that church. This letter is written to the pastor to be read to the congregation there in Philadelphia. And then Jesus, as he does with the other other letters, he gives a description of himself. But his description that he gives to Philadelphia is different from the other letters. In the other letters, Jesus describes himself using a description from the first chapter, but he doesn't use a description from the first chapter with the letter to, to Philadelphia. I don't know why, but he doesn't. So he goes on here, and he gives a, just an entirely new description of himself. It's not from chapter 1, and here is what he says. He says, These things says he who is holy. And so Jesus describes himself to the church in Philadelphia as he who is holy. Jesus is holy. That word holy, it means morally blameless. Jesus is is perfect. He's pure. He's spotless. He's flawless. He's without sin, the Bible says. That's why Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. You know, in 1 Peter, it says, We have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. He's sinless, he's spotless, he's perfect, he's holy. You know, in the Bible, God is described as the only holy one. In fact, 44 times in the Bible, God is described as the holy one. And here, Jesus is described as holy. And so, This is telling us it means that Jesus is God and he's holy. And because he's holy, he is worthy of honor and reverence and praise because of his holiness. In Revelation chapter 4, the throne room of heaven is described. And we're going to get there in a few weeks in our study. But the throne room of heaven is described in Revelation chapter 4. And there in heaven, around the throne of God, there are these four living creatures that all they do night and day without rest is worship Jesus for his holiness. Just for his holiness, because he's so holy. As Jesus is on his throne in heaven and he's making judgments for the earth, he's making decisions, his plan is unfolding. These living creatures are there around his throne and they see his plan unfolding in the world and they worship him for his holiness. They say, holy, 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 Lord God almighty, who was and is and is to come. So Jesus is holy and the verse says Jesus is true. He who is true, in verse 7. Again, later on in Revelation, Revelation chapter 15, Revelation chapter 19, we're going to see that Jesus is worshipped in heaven, it says, because His ways are true. And then in 19, He's worshipped in heaven because His judgments are true. Jesus is true. Everything you read in the Bible about Jesus is true. Everything the Gospels say about Jesus is true. Everything Jesus said in the Gospels is true. Everything Jesus said about himself is true. Everything that Jesus said about life and death and heaven and hell and judgment and the forgiveness of sins and God's love for us. It's all true because Jesus is true. I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And there is no other way for a person to enter into heaven but through faith in Jesus Christ. And I believe that because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. And Jesus is true. And everything that he says is true. Because he's true. Verse 7 goes on to describe Jesus saying... He who has the key of David, so he's the descendant of David, the Messiah, and he who opens, and no one shuts, and shuts, and no one opens. And this is a quote from Isaiah chapter 22, and and Jesus says that he has the key of David. Aren't you glad that Jesus has the keys, right? And not you. I would lose the keys. I'm always like, where did I put my keys? (laughs) I'm glad Jesus is in charge of the keys. But he says he, you know, he has the key of David. A key speaks of authority and speaks of power. If you have the key to a door, you have the authority over that door. You decide to lock it or unlock it. You decide to open it or shut it. You decide who enters, who stays out. You have authority, you have power.
1: We'll return to Pastor Dan's message in just a moment.
2: So download the app right now, search for Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City in your app store, or just follow the links on our website at calvaryec.com.
1: What a great way to stay connected to Scripture. Now, back to today's message on Ring of Truth.
2: Jesus is saying here that he has authority. He has authority to open a door. And no one can shut it and shut a door and no one can open it. In other words, Jesus is saying he's sovereign. And no one can, can oppose his sovereignty. No one can oppose his will. No one can overturn his will. No one can you know, undo his will. You know, no, no one can shut a door that he has opened and no one can open a door that Jesus has shut. And he writes this to that church in Philadelphia, to those believers in Philadelphia, to comfort them because he goes on to say in verse 8, after telling them, hey, I open a door, no one can shut it. I shut a door, no one can open it. And then he says in verse 8, I know your works. See, I, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. Jesus has opened a door for the believers in Philadelphia. Meaning he's opened a door for the gospel. He's given them an opportunity. That's what an open door means. It's an opportunity for the gospel. For sharing the gospel. And he has put before them an open door. And he wants those believers in Philadelphia. He wants them to know that no one can shut the door that he has opened for them. The emperor in Rome, he can't shut this door that Jesus has opened. No government can shut it. No regime, no dictator, no law. Nothing, nobody, no one can shut the door that Jesus Christ has opened because he's sovereign. You know where the church is growing the fastest in the world today? You'll never guess. Iran. You know where it's growing the second fastest? Afghanistan. Now we would say those are closed countries. But Jesus says, I've opened a door and no one can shut it. It doesn't matter who's in charge. It doesn't matter what the regime is. If Jesus opens the door, there's no one that can shut it. No one can stop the Lord. No one can stop his will. And the Lord opens doors before us. He opens doors before you and before me to share the gospel, to be witnesses for him. The Lord puts opportunities before us. And we have to be obedient to walk through the open door. But you can be sure if he puts an open door before you, no one's going to shut it. You can also be sure if he has shut a door, you're not going to get it open. Because if he shuts it, no one can open it. Look at verse 8 again. Look what he says here about this church. Here's why they need to know that Jesus has opened this door and no one can shut it. He says in verse 8 that they have a little strength. Just a little strength. This church in Philadelphia uh, was probably few in number. It's not a large congregation. They didn't have a big temple like all the pagan gods. They didn't even have a building. Uh, The church in Philadelphia met in homes. They don't have a lot of money. They don't have a lot of resources. They weren't influential or prominent in their community. They were unimportant in the world's eyes. They were small potatoes. But they were God's potatoes. Right? Right? even though they have a little strength. you know, In 1 Corinthians, it says that God chooses things that the world considers foolish to confound the wise, and He likes to use weak things and the powerless to put to shame those who are powerful. And God likes the, the things that the world counts as nothing and unimportant and insignificant. He likes to use those kinds of things, because then He gets all the glory, he says in 1 Corinthians, no one can boast in his sight. No one can say, Look what I did. No, it's look what the Lord did. It's all the Lord. You know, the, the, the good that the church in Philadelphia accomplished for the kingdom of God was, was not because of their strength or their size or their influence, it was because of the Lord. It was because God opened a door for them. And that's the only reason. They have a little strength. They've got they've got, you know, nothing in themselves. To accomplish things. Now, give me your attention for a second. You may think of yourself as having little strength. You may think of yourself of you know. You may say of yourself, "Well, who, who am I? I'm, I'm nobody. What can I possibly do for God? And how could He possibly use me?" Well, listen. God can do a lot with a little. He can do a lot with somebody who thinks they're a nobody. The problem is when you think you're somebody, when you're really a nobody. But he can do a lot with a nobody. This church in Philadelphia, they had to rely upon God because they have little strength. They have to rely upon him because that's really all that they have. They don't have anything of themselves, any resource to to fall back on. All they have is God. Look at verse 8 again. Jesus commends this church. Look what it says. Because they have kept his word. And they did not deny his name. They didn't compromise God's word. They didn't water down God's word to try to, to try to draw a larger crowd in. To make people feel more comfortable so they stick around. They obeyed God's word. They were faithful to keep his word. And they didn't deny the name of Jesus. They didn't deny his character. They were faithful to Jesus. They were faithful to his word. They were faithful to his, his character. You know, a lot of people measure a church... And the success of a church, by the size of the congregation, you know, how large the crowd is, or the building in which they meet, or, or the amount of money and resources they have. And those are all worldly yardsticks that measure a church. The church in Philadelphia was a successful church in the eyes of Jesus. He had only good things to say of them. And according to Jesus Christ, the measure of their success was the fact that they, they relied upon God, They were faithful to his word, and they were faithful to his name, or his character. And of all the churches, this is the church that says, Jesus says, that's a successful church. This is the church that Jesus is most pleased with. The one that relies upon God, the one that's faithful to his word, and the one that's faithful to his name. And, you know, the same is true for a Christian. Be a successful Christian. Rely upon God. Be faithful to his word. And be faithful to his name. Now, verse 9, he says, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie, indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. And so, apparently, there in Philadelphia, there were some Jews who were persecuting the Christians. Uh, And you have to understand, at this time in church history, uh, Christianity was considered a sect of Judaism, they weren't really separate at this point, like they are today. Uh, if you're taking notes, you might want to jot down Acts 24-5, Acts twenty eight twenty two. In both those verses, Christianity is called a sect of Judaism. Uh, in the book of Acts, we see the, the apostles. They're still going to the synagogue. They're still going to the temple in Jerusalem. They're still keeping the feasts. They're still maintaining an identity with, with, within Judaism. Uh, the Apostle Paul, as he goes on his missionary journeys and he travels to different cities, where does he always go first? He goes to the synagogue and he preaches Christ to the Jews first and so at this point in church history, Christianity and Judaism were still connected they 're still kind of intermingled uh, they 're not separate yet. And so it's likely that some of the Christians there in Philadelphia were were Jewish believers in Christ. And they were still attending the synagogue. They're preaching Christ in the synagogue. And so some of the Jewish population in that city began to persecute the believers. And Jesus in verse 9, he wants those in Philadelphia to know that he takes notice of this. He sees what's happening to them. And he promised those believers that he would vindicate them before their persecutors that they're going to know that Jesus loves them. Now look at verse 10. This is where it starts to get really, really good. He says, because you have kept my command to persevere, they've persevered, they've remained steadfast and faithful. I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on, On the earth, Jesus says there is an hour of trial that is coming upon the whole world, a time of testing for all who dwell on the earth. And this trial that will come upon the whole world is called the Great Tribulation in the Bible, which comes at the end of the age. This great tribulation is a seven-year period on the earth that, that culminates with the literal, physical return of Jesus Christ to the earth to establish His kingdom on the earth and to rule over the earth as King of kings and Lord of lords. And this is what human history is heading towards. Listen, listen. Human history will not continue on forever as it always has. There's an end. It's, it's winding down and it's going to come to an hour of trial that will come upon the whole earth followed by the return of Jesus Christ.
3: He asked me how I know and I say truer than the finest crystal.
1: You've been listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. If you'd like to hear this message in the book of Revelation again, feel free to find it at CalvaryEC.com. Simply look under the Media tab. There are a variety of messages from this series and other series as well. As you browse our website, you'll get a better understanding of the church that supports this radio ministry. Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City in Columbia, Maryland. In fact, If you're in the area and would like to hear more of Pastor Dan's teachings in person, come join us this weekend. Our website has all the information you need as far as directions to our location and service times. We'd be so happy to connect with you and hear what you've learned from listening to Ring of Truth. If you'd rather get some information over the phone, we can do that too. Our number is 410-491-4592. That number, once again, is 410-491-4592. Please let us know how we can be praying for you as you listen to these messages from the book of Revelation. Pastor Dan will continue teaching through the book of Revelation next time, so don't miss a single edition as he explores this fascinating final book of the Bible. We're so glad you took the time to tune in to today's message, and we hope you'll continue to be a part of our listening audience. We'll catch you next time, right here on Ring of Truth.
3: I see the signs and I recognize the hands that craft and am what I know because I know His voice and it only takes